What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on? Well, we're talking about the Omicron variant, but before we do, you and I lost a very good friend this week. Fred Hyatt, the editorial page editor of the Washington Post, passed away. He had a heart attack in New York. He was my boss at the Washington Post. He actually has been a friend of ours since long before I joined the Post, 20 plus years ago when we were both working in the Foreign Relations Committee for Senator Jesse Helms and pushing through NATO expansion. And Fred loved Eastern Europe. He loved the freedom movements. He covered them from Moscow when he was the Moscow bureau chief of the Washington Post. And we got to know him when he became editorial page editor of the Washington Post and was covering all of that. And then he brought me on after my service in government uh, as a columnist in the Washington Post, and he was a remarkable, remarkable man. I said this on Twitter, which has now become the the appropriate venue for obituary comments, which seems somehow wrong, but he was a mensch. You know, we say a lot of bad things about journalists on this podcast, and many of them have earned it, but he was a man of the old school. He yeah. was a quality journalist. He was a classical liberal, a small L liberal. He was a terrific editor, and he was just a great person. And together with Jackson Deal, who stepped down earlier this year at the editorial page of The Post, I can't even imagine the page without him. It's a real challenge to the whole institution. What he did at the Washington Post, you know, we're in a very siloed world today, right? People on the left get their news from certain places. People on the right get their news from certain places. And there's not a lot of places where you can get all sorts of different opinions and people who are regularly exposed to opinions that they disagree with. And he obviously brought me onto the post. And we all disagree with you. Exactly. Because a lot of his readers disagreed with me and he disagreed with me. He wanted me precisely for that reason, to provide a non-screaming, thoughtful explanation of opinions that many of his readers disagreed with because he thought it was important. You can't have a national conversation about issues if people aren't listening to each other. He changed my life by bringing me to the Post. I love the Post. I love being with both the conservative and the liberal writers there. And like you, I, you know, gosh, I miss Fred. It's only happened a day ago, but I miss Fred already. He's a friend and a mentor and just one of the nicest people you've ever met. Amen to that. All right. Now, let's talk a little bit quickly before we introduce our guest about our hair on fire for the latest episode in the coronavirus pandemic. Dum, dum, dum. Well, speaking of the lack of reason debate. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. So we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. The pandemic was receding. We were going to start learning to live with COVID. And then all of a sudden... The Omicron variant comes. The South Africans do what the Chinese did not do, which is report. We have a new variant. Uh, It's of concern. And we immediately shut down all travel and punished them for speaking up and set our hair on fire here in Washington and caused a lot of people to set their hair on fire across the country thinking that across this the, world, the, the world, across the world. And it turns out, according to Dr. Angelique Kotesi, who is the head of the South African Medicalization, said the nation's hospitals were not overwhelmed by patients infected with the new variant and most of those hospitalizations were not fully immunized. Moreover, most patients, she said, did not lose their sense of taste and smell and only had a slight cough. 
<laughs> wait, Senator wait, Harris. let us let us shut down our country and introduce new rules about who can enter it and new rules about when you need to be tested for a slight cough. And all of you people with a slight cough, I hope you feel ashamed. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, but it's only slightly a it's only slight slight exaggeration. It's, I mean, not, it's not even. I mean, look, we have not crossed the Rubicon to reasoned debate about this issue. And one of the expressions that sticks in my craw, Tony Fauci got the crap kicked out of him last week when he said, I am the science. But the <laughs> other is... The science the... goddamn well moi. <laughs> yeah. That self-righteous, obnoxious little lawn sign I pass every day walking my dog. We believe in science. I feel like getting another little lawn sign that says, do you? Oh, it's true. I mean, look, the reality is we are coming out of this. We're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. The reality is we've got 71.5% of the adult population, 184,622,732 people are fully immunized with two doses of the vaccine. You've got another 140 million who have natural immunity from prior infection, which the federal government does not recognize as being the same as vaccinated immunity, even though an Israeli study shows that natural immunity is 27 times stronger than vaccinated immunity. But people who have natural immunity from prior infection are being forced out of their jobs in the midst of a labor crisis where you can't find people to show up to work. And they're going to take people, including healthcare workers, including people in the supply chain who are responsible for making sure we have treatments for other deadly diseases in our supply chain and available. We're going to kick those people out of work. Between the two of them, we're basically looking at about 10 to 25 million people who are at risk of serious outcomes from COVID. We've got for those people, if you didn't like the vaccines, we've got pills from Merck and from Pfizer. We have a treatment called fluvoxamine, which is available now, 91% reduction in COVID deaths as a result of it. So if you don't get vaccinated, we've got treatments now and more treatments coming. And it's time for us to get back to our lives. And I think the problem, Danny, is, is that... The pandemic brought out the inner Stalin in a lot of government officials. They love to control our lives and tell us how we have to live and what we have to do. And the pandemic allowed them to do so. And they don't want to let go of power. They want to continue to dictate to us. So we've got the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, outgoing mayor, announcing that if you're five or older, if you have not been vaccinated, which there's no scientific evidence that says you have to vaccinate a five-year-old, I'm sorry, there's no science behind that, then you cannot go to restaurants, go to school, go to sporting events. I mean, maybe you can't even go to Central Park uh, if you don't have it. This is fascism. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say what Will de Blasio is doing is fascist. Let me say it is not fascism in action, but it's certainly fascism in instinct. And all along, I will say the desire to divide people, the desire to stigmatize people. I'm sorry, if you want people to get vaccinated... Calling them a bunch of fucking morons is probably not the way to do it. I mean, just pro tip. We're losing our patience with you, the president said. Yeah, exactly. And more importantly, none of the data suggests that if you are vaccinated and your idiot cousin Bob isn't vaccinated, that anything bad is going to happen to you. Rather, justice will come looking for idiot cousin Bob. Okay. You know, we don't wish that on anybody, but you are not more likely to get sick. I haven't heard any stories about people who were vaccinated and boosted but got COVID from somebody who wasn't vaccinated and died. 
or even went to the hospital. No, exactly. And look, we don't tell idiot cousin Bob, to continue with your analogy, that he can't work because he has a triple Whopper with cheese for lunch every day, or smokes, or drinks and has cirrhosis of the liver and all the rest of that. Or smokes it, pot like all of our friends in Washington State and Colorado exactly. and Portland, or Oregon. Vapes, or vapes. I mean, people make bad health decisions all the time, and it's not the job of the nanny state to restrict the rest of us. To the contrary, the nanny state has been trying to stop us from shaming people who are morbidly obese. Yes. Right? We're not allowed to judge them. But their health risks are so much higher than the risks presented by an unvaccinated person to a vaccinated person. Again, you know, we've said this before. I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. I believe being vaccinated is a good thing. I got a booster. I'm perfectly comfortable with it. But I'm not comfortable with them coming and knocking on your door and then putting a mark above your door for the devil to come and get you later on. Or telling you you can't work. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the bigger threat to public health today is the supply chain shortage. Which the, we're the, about to talk about. And the, the fact that, you, you know, you can't get certain chemotherapy treatments, that you can't get certain drugs, that there are supply chain issues. Why are there supply chain issues? Because we can't find workers. And in the midst of a supply chain crisis, they're trying to force businesses to fire anybody who hasn't been vaccinated. And by the way, if you have natural immunity from prior infection, they don't, and care. You, they don't care. That doesn't count because right. the federal government doesn't recognize that. Even though it's better than vaccinated immunity, you're actually more safe than someone who's been vaccinated. So there's so much stupid going on. But look, folks, Daddy and I, as we've said on previous podcasts, we're not doctors. We only play them on, on, uh, our podcast? on the podcast. But we've got a real doctor to join us today who will give you the God's honest truth. So you all remember Marty McCary, fantastic doctor, professor at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Bloomberg School of Public Health, and the Carey Business School. He's the author of The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare, and How to Fix It. He's a recidivist guest, and we're grateful for it. Here's our interview. Marty, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you guys. All right. So we are now all in a state of panic with our hair on fire over the Omicron variant. They happen to skip over the she variant. I always I always say that all the variants are the she variant. <laughs> Should we be worried about Omicron? What do we know by now? Well, I'm actually a little hopeful about Omicron because if this ends up being slightly more contagious and less virulent or less dangerous, that's going to be an act of mercy for the world because... If it can confer some immunity, we'll be in a good situation. Look, it's it appears to be a downgraded mutation in, in terms of its virulence. So we'll see. The data is early. But from the data points we have now, the South African study that came out very recently, the data from outside of South Africa that roughly half the cases are mild and half have been asymptomatic, the fact that we have not seen a severe case with Omicron. I mean, these are all promising findings right now. So let's hope. Let's hope we're going to see some good immunity protection. What I don't get is how we have the entire world on hold as we try to understand whether or not vaccinated immunity encompasses the variant. You can do that experiment in about six hours. You take the antibodies from the vaccine, you take the Omicron variant in a lab, and you see the neutralizing effect and you report it out. As a matter of fact, we're going to be getting that from the companies, but why have we been waiting two weeks to let pharma tell us? We have four BSL-4 labs in the U.S. that we spend a lot of money on, and they're just hanging out. They're there for sort of bioterrorism, just in case. And take the virus and go do the experiment. We've been on hold. The world economy is on hold. They're canceling elective surgery in New York. You could do this 
in one day. It's not the riddle of the Sphinx. We can get the answer immediately. So let's talk about this. And first of all, uh, by the way, they were being told we're on it. We're on top of it. The CDC, we got this. We're following it closely. I get fired up about the CDC. I'm sorry. Most of their studies would not pass a seventh grade science fair project experiment. Okay, well, I want to get back to that. But what I was starting to say was what a pleasure it is to have you here with us in the studio. In person. (laughs) In person, person. (laughs) because we feel like we know you, but actually I've never shaken your hand before. So it really is a pleasure and an honor to have you. So let's stop for a second and talk a little bit about the specific details about Omicron. Mm -hmm. So I do feel for the South Africans. The incentive clearly is not there for any nation to identify a new strain. God forbid their scientists are good because that will immediately result in them being blamed for everything. We're not allowed to call it the China virus, but we are allowed to call it the South African virus and to shut down travel from seven major African nations with precisely zero information about any of it. So let's talk about this actual variant. We've all heard it's got more spikes on it. It looks different than Delta or Alpha or any of them. Tell us a little bit about what might have caused initial concern. Well, the shape is much different because you've got 32 mutations on the spike protein. Now, what does that mean? Well, we got to remember, that sounds scary, 32, but most of the variants have had several mutations on them. Hence, they are variants. Hence, the name variant. And we've had 2,000 variants to date. If you want to really geek out on this stuff, there's a website called nextstrain.org, and you can see all the variants, and it's something that only really nerds in this field look at. But So all of the variants have been encompassed by existing immunity of both kinds. Now, this new variant, I believe, comes from an animal reservoir. And the reason I believe that is... Wait, 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 wait. What is an animal reservoir? It comes from the animal kingdom. I see. Millions of animals have gotten COVID-19. And the reason this is important is we're never going to get to COVID-0. And that's what some people are trying to achieve. For example, a third of deer in Idaho, when sampled, had COVID-19. Remind me not to eat COVID deer from Idaho, please. Yeah, by the time, though, it's it's smoked and and turned into jerky, you're probably okay. But (laughs) in all of these animals, millions of animals have gotten, probably in South Africa, it was an animal host, and it spread. And over the course of that spread in a dense environment, it developed so many mutations. It's unlikely 32 mutations comes from one immunosuppressed person. There's a little bias here, right, because it's like, oh, we can blame this HIV population for giving it to us. It probably came from animals. Now, it's a reasonable theory. It came from an immunosuppressed person. To me, it's much more plausible. It comes from the animal kingdom. Why is that important? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to blame an animal, but they're going to keep spitting out. Unlike the Chinese. Out, unlike <laughs> Chinese, right. <laughs> and these animals are going to keep spitting out a variant every six months or every year with new mutations in perpetuity. And it may cause mild infection. We may get common cold-like coronaviruses from the animal kingdom. And that's okay because our goal has always been to prevent hospitalizations. Now, the 32 mutations sound scary, but 95% of that spike protein is identical to previous strains. So that's one of the reasons why we believe the binding is pretty good with antibodies. And it's done on a computer model You can put in any gene sequence and it'll spit out a shape of a protein that is what that gene codes for. And so far, it looks like on the modeling and the computer simulation that there's decent binding. 
There's some unknowns. You know, we don't know how well it binds. And there's a clinical suggestion from a recent paper that if you're going to get a breakthrough infection, you're more likely to get a breakthrough infection with Omicron than with previous strains, 2.4 times more likely. That's early data. We'll see what that means. And that's important because the mRNA vaccines target the spike protein. Like what they do is they cause your body to create the coronavirus spike protein and then learn to attack it, right? That's right. And so we had Scott Gottlieb on the podcast a few months ago. And one of the questions we asked Scott was about this idea that you could have a variant that would evade the vaccines. And he said that the vaccines not only target the spike protein, but a specific part of the spike protein. The receptor binding domain. Exactly. And so is this variant affecting that? Putting aside Omicron, what is the danger that we will have a variant that really does evade the vaccines and Yeah, it's possible. But in general, first of all, 10 of the mutations roughly are in that receptor binding domain area, which is the part that actually binds. And so if that binding part gets to be a better fit, you have a more contagious virus. It's more sticky. If it doesn't bind as well, it's less virulent. It doesn't bind as tightly. So All of these things are things that are unknown, but ultimately what matters is not what it looks like in the laboratory, it's what it looks like on the ground. And so we heard a really good, strong assurance from the head of the South African Medical Association, don't worry, it appears mild. And then she just followed up and said, I told you not to worry and you worried, and here it is, it is very mild. So we're getting good assurances. So I want to talk about the sort of the politics and the global reaction, but I want to come back to one thing that you've said, and I think others have said, and it's hugely important. Number one, we're never going to be able to say goodbye to COVID. No COVID, zero. Number two, one of the best things that could happen is for this to mutate into something that's like a cold, that isn't killing people, that isn't knocking people into the hospital, that isn't causing us to cancel elective surgeries in the state of New York. Because if it is contagious and it is mild, that is a positive direction for this pandemic. Can you just sort of explain that fully so that people understand it? If it is a downward mutation and confers immunity after the mutation, that is, gives you natural immunity, then your body is more protected for the future. And so we've been living with several upper respiratory infections that are mild for centuries. And we haven't had sequencing for a long time, but it's pretty clear. There are, for example, four other coronaviruses that circulate every year and have for a long time, and they constitute about 25% of the cases of the common cold. We don't freak out. We don't have the White House having press briefings that there's a new variant of the seasonal flu that just showed up in San Francisco and we have a case. What we do is we say, look, this is a mild illness and we need to accept it, and we can do our studies to look at the effectiveness of vaccines. But right now, we're seeing this overreaction. So two quick follow-ups. One, will this have a crowd-out effect? In other words, if this is more contagious but less virulent, can it crowd out other variants and confer immunity? And second part of that question, if it confers immunity, is it conferring immunity only to the Omicron or is it conferring more broad immunity to COVID variants? Unknown, but we think probably to COVID variants. Really? Yeah. And it turns out that existing immunity to the other strains may give either partial or pretty good immunity to Omicron. So it's an unknown, but if you look at some of these clusters that have been studied, 
in Denmark, they did a study and it looks like it was clustered in a group of individuals that did not also get Delta. When you look at the South African study that came out from the weekend, 166 people, mostly young. So it's unclear. Most of them were unvaccinated. So it's unclear if they got it because they were unvaccinated or it's more predisposed. But they didn't die. No one died. No one got severe illness. Well, one of the things Scott said was it's possible that the reason it's been mild is because many of those people had natural immunity from the Delta variant. Do you think that's right? I think that's a very good theory. The other theory is that it's spreading in unvaccinated individuals and young people were more likely to be unvaccinated. That is definitely a statement they put in their own paper when they wrote that report out of South Africa. Why does it seem so immaterial to people that nobody's died from this? In the beginning, it was like, oh, my God, COVID is so bad because so many people are dying. So many people are in the ICU. Now it's it's so bad. Oh, no one is dying. But we don't care that no one's dying. Do you get that? (laughs) Well, this is what we do, right? We've done it with Zika and Ebola. And for so many infections, we watch a few people get ill without dying into it. You know, we could be weeks or months into it. And people freak out and then they move on to another, their attention. (laughs) I mean, should we stop focusing on cases entirely? Yes. And and focus on hospitalizations and deaths? I mean, that should be the metric, right? That's right. That's right. And if we instead focused our testing on those who are at risk of exposing somebody vulnerable, then it makes sense to do testing. When you do random testing of Georgetown University students every Friday, which is what they have been doing, you are going to find COVID-19 forever in the noses of the students. Now, they're all fully vaccinated. They're immune. There's no public health threat. And they're symptom-free. They're symptom-free, and they get put in prison. You know that hotel at uh, Georgetown University? It's above the cafeteria. I did my residency there. So (laughs) there's a hotel there, although it's not like the Ritz. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. And the students are sentenced to 10 days of solitary confinement if they test positive on random screening on a campus of all fully vaccinated, low-risk individuals. If you test in the United States, every American, 10% are going to have meningococcus in their nose, an infection that causes meningitis. But we have less than 50 cases of meningitis a year, and 10% of the population has it in their nose. It's colonized. We can't go hunting for problems. If you live with some immunosuppressed older person, or you're going to go hang out at bingo night with people who all had organ transplants, then test yourself before you go there, because those are some at-risk people. Otherwise, <laughs> I keep laughing because I'm thinking of that famous, you know, we shall not go in search of monsters abroad. We shouldn't really go searching for monsters in people's nasal passages <laughs> either. It's insane. You could find it's tuberculosis. Yeah. You could find thousands of cases of tuberculosis in this city right now of asymptomatic people in their nose. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't need to be treated. So America's Stalin wannabe, Mayor de Blasio of, of New York, has announced that basically if you are five or older and you are not vaccinated, you basically are banned from life in the city of New York. Everything. You can't use public transport. You can't go to restaurants. You can't go to sporting events. Or school. Or school. Most um, importantly. 
or child care. You tweeted recently that no healthy child aged 5 to 17 died of COVID in Germany over a 15-month period. All deaths of children were with a comorbidity. So number one, is there any justification whatsoever for this intense focus on vaccinating young people. You had a column in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago where you said the CDC doesn't have data whether any kids without comorbidities have died in America. Do we know the answer to that question <laughs> we yet? We don't. We don't. Germany knows, and we're learning from these other How countries. How does Germany know that and we don't? Well, we have an incompetent CDC. <laughs> I mean, if you look back at this whole pandemic, we might have been in a better spot if the CDC did not exist because they banned any lab from doing COVID testing for several weeks, a couple months, actually, in the beginning. And we got behind the eight ball on the supply chain. You can only pull on that supply chain so hard for reagents. And so by banning any laboratory from doing COVID testing, that was the original sin of the entire pandemic. And then, you know, I remember in March looking at their website and I was telling people to be careful and, and to try to get their test samples sent. And the CDC said only if you had recent travel to Wuhan, China. This is like the first week of March last year. And didn't they contaminate their tests? Yeah. You know why they contaminated the tests? Why? It's because they were running the samples literally next door to the place where they were developing the test and it contaminated <laughs> and they wanted to like save on space. It's no joke. Stunning. They have 21,000 employees there and they needed to save on space. It is a disgrace. A lot of people have died in America. And, you know, while we are joking about the response to it at this point, obviously this has been no joke. This is more people than died on 9-11 by several orders of magnitude. And yet, we did a big investigation, didn't we? Where did we go wrong? What were the mistakes that we made? How could we have done this better on 9-11? It's not just you, Marty, who says the CDC screwed up royally. Scott, from the get-go, has also on every single podcast said they made so many mistakes. They gave so many false statements. They gave so much misdirection to people. They were a hindrance rather than a help. And yet, where is the forensic exam of what went wrong here? Yeah, there's never been an assessment. But to answer your question about children, so a member of Congress was going to question the CDC director and the FDA director, and they asked me, what's a good question to ask? And I said, ask him, how many of the 300 so children who have died to date under 18 at that time were healthy. And both of them said they don't know. They don't know because they don't look. It's the same reason they brush the vaccine complications under the rug, even though they are exceedingly rare. This is important when you're imposing restrictions on 72 million kids in the United States. If no healthy child has died, what are we doing to these kids? Now, there is a benefit to vaccinating healthy kids. It's to prevent hospitalizations. And there have been tens of thousands of hospitalizations in kids. But let the parents make that decision. There's also unintended harm. And when you vaccinate someone already immune, which is the insanity of what our public health officials have been ordering, to vaccinate and immunize those already immune. They have circulating antibodies that neutralize COVID-19, but they are antibodies the government does not recognize. Are they less effective because the government doesn't recognize them? <laughs> Does it need a government stamp of approval to work? They want these indiscriminate vaccine policies. When you do it to kids who already had immunity, which might be half of kids, and that's a CDC statistic, there will be unintended harm. One in what five, is that? Uh, one in 7,000 boys and young men develop myocarditis. Uh -huh. Of the group, 15 to 22, one person died out of about 100 who had that complication. In the Israeli study, U.S. won't tell us those numbers. 
There's no good studies in the U.S. Hard to do that research. Doctors concerned about it are bullied at their institutions. I've never seen this before in science. There's a modern-day McCarthyism that if you're not on board with vaccinating 100% of every American with two feet, that you're somehow anti-vax. I can't believe you are anti-vax for people with one foot. (laughs) (laughs) So look, if somebody had COVID, they don't have to get vaccinated. They can get a dose, and some doctors recommend one dose, but they have circulating antibodies. So let me ask you this question. So the latest data is that the population 18 years and older, 71.5% is vaccinated with two doses. That's 184 million people. You've written that about 140 million people have immunity from prior infection, right? So what percentage of the population would you say has either natural or vaccinated immunity? What percentage of the population has some sort of immunity? I'm sure there's some overlap there. What do you think? Is it possible to know? So the number of people who have gotten at least one dose over 18 is 83% now. So you've got 17% of adults with no vaccination. At least half of them have natural immunity because the type of person that is not getting vaccinated is not the type of person tiptoeing around with a mask and an N95 cover (laughs) over it. They are probably the people that ran out into the line of fire and they got the infection. We think a lot of those unvaccinated have natural immunity. So you're really talking about the entire COVID pandemic, the one that still kills people, the one that we have not been talking about that we need to focus all of our efforts on, is the pandemic among the 10 to 25 million adults in America that have no immunity. They have no vaccinated immunity, no natural immunity. And if they have a risk factor, they're sitting ducks. And those are the people showing up at the hospital. And there are the people dying. And we're losing track of that important group because we're distracted with putting masks on two-year-olds. So we're losing track of the fact that that is where it's a very surgically precise group where all of the concern should be right now. Let's talk politics, okay? Now, again, I think that when people have talked about a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that's what you described just now, is the pandemic of the unvaccinated. We can argue about how many people it is, but at this point, COVID is really hurting people who are not vaccinated and and who are not immune. Okay, can you help me understand the hysteria? Can you help me understand the ever-increasing layers? Can you help me understand why it is that Oregon has now mandated indoor masking forever? I was there last week. I was in Oregon. I'll tell you, you know, I don't talk politics, but they are going to vote out every single politician in power. They are so fed up. The businesses there, 130 restaurants and bars have closed permanently, not with some government help to bridge them along. People are angry. A giant hotel I stayed at downtown called the Hilo Hotel was at 9% occupancy. People are not getting paid. People are going into poverty. The number one predictor of health status has always been socioeconomic status. When you have an impoverished country, health outcomes are the worst. And so what we're seeing now is all of these side consequences from the reaction. And that's what I'm worried about with the Omicron. I'm worried about the reaction to it. I'm not worried about the actual virus. I'm worried about the reaction to it. Meaning what? Well, if we go into further restrictions and mandating boosters and firing nurses because they have circulating antibodies that the government does not approve of, 
We can't get bleomycin for patients with Hodgkin's lymphoma because of the supply chain crisis. I had a patient tell me she's going to go on 5-FU chemotherapy instead of the standard Abraxane chemotherapy because there's a national shortage of Abraxane chemo. One in five medical professionals have left the profession, nurses, respiratory therapists. I don't know if they're coming back. We're operating in a wounded healthcare system right now. We've got opioid deaths up, substance abuse deaths up, and no one seems to know it or pay attention. Wounded not by the virus, but by the restriction. By the rigidity of the vaccine mandate. All we needed was a little bit of flexibility and all these problems would have been averted. Allow for natural immunity, allow for medical exemptions in a broader way, and don't require immunity of non-patient-facing personnel. All that would have avoided all this mass walkout in healthcare. Do we have any data yet on the, you mentioned uh, the mental health effects and other rest, especially for young people who we know are not dying in any significant numbers, at least healthy ones. Do we have any data on the collateral damage to them in terms of suicide, drug use, depression, all the rest of that? Or is it going to take some time for that to catch up? It's going to take some time. And unfortunately, when we learn, the country is going to have no more tolerance for all these excessive restrictions and we'll be in a better place. It takes a couple of years. Look, when Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, there was an estimate a few days into it that 17 people had died from the hurricane. And the New England Journal of Medicine researchers found that ultimately 5,000 people died from the indirect effects, not getting to dialysis, dehydration, not having clean water, bacterial infections. We're going to see the same thing with our COVID restrictions. I hope we do learn. I hope we do the lessons learned. I hope we do the forensic examination of how this nightmare happened. But I hope we also learn about the indirect effects. I mean, that's the first I've heard about chemotherapy. I know how many people died during lockdowns because they didn't get their chemo, because they didn't get their cancer diagnosis, because they didn't get their heart checked, all of these things. Last question from me. What's the end game here? I thought we were in it. And then like a breath of fresh air to the people who love this pandemic, Omicron came along. What's the end game, do you think? Some people do want this to go forever, don't they? Tony Fauci, for example. Because no one will put him on TV if we don't have a pandemic, yeah. right? No comment on Tony. <laughs> He's had a rough year. Actually, like Tony, he's a gentleman. I've just disagreed with him on almost every aspect of the entire pandemic strategy, not warning of the pandemic, the mask issue. But ignoring natural immunity is probably one of the greatest errors, the complete dismissal of scientific evidence that directly resulted in so many lives being destroyed, people being fired, people who don't live like me, people who live paycheck to paycheck, and they need their job or else they're you know in deep trouble. What's the end game? You know, the antivirals are amazing. And there's other treatments that you never hear about. I'm not talking about the controversial ones like hydroxy and ivermectin, where I personally, in reviewing the data, don't think they have any activity against this virus. But fluvoxamine, which is an antihypertensive, has a known mechanism of blocking inflammatory pathways, which is how COVID kills people. And it reduced COVID mortality by 91% in a randomized controlled trial just published in The Lancet. The previous trial also had a massive reduction in mortality. Two other retrospective reviews show it works. There's no data that shows it doesn't work. There's no data to the contrary. It's all favorable. This isn't a new treatment. This is something that's existed, right? It's existing. It's It's been around the whole pandemic. It's at the local pharmacies. You have a drug that reduced mortality by 91%. You never hear them talk about it. 
You never hear them talk about natural immunity. When the data came out on boosters, and this shows the bias, and we all have biases, but look at this bias. The data comes out of the Israeli health ministry that boosters reduce hospitalizations by tenfold in people over 65. Dr. Fauci immediately describes it as, quote unquote, dramatic data. This is dramatic data. And they wrote up the policies around that data. The same health ministry reports out that natural immunity was 27 times more protective than vaccines in the population. Mum, not a word. You can't pick and choose. Not only that, the CDC said that it wasn't true that vaccine immunity is three times stronger than natural immunity. They both can't be true. So the CDC came out with their own crackpot study that they jerry-rigged in the state of Kentucky, and it showed that natural immunity was worse than vaccines. Now, it was totally flawed. Any honest scientist will tell you you couldn't reach those conclusions from the data. They looked at a narrow two-month window in one state, and they didn't even tell you what happened with any of those positive cases. And both groups, vaccine and natural immunity, had rates less than 0.01%. So they were basically doing something that's well-known in statistics called fishing. (laughs) Find me the data to prove my theory. Yes, yes. You got data on all 50 states for the whole pandemic, and you find which sliver of data will show us what we want to say. And they put it out there. And the media buys it. They parrot the thing out, the doctrine that natural immunity doesn't work. So exit question for me. We've got vast majority of the population, including the vast majority of the vulnerable population, vaccinated, double vaccinated, probably 25% even have boosters or triple vaccinated, right? We've got 140 million Americans with natural immunity, which is even stronger than vaccinated immunity. We've got the Merck pill. We've got the Pfizer pill. We've got flamoxamine. Yeah. And other treatments coming, right? Yeah. Is this thing over? The mild, common, cold, endemic nature of it is going to go in perpetuity. The public health threat- Is the pandemic over? The public health threat of the pandemic is over in the United States outside of that 10 to 25 million Americans who are adults with no immunity. They're going to continue to get hurt, and they're going to continue to show up in the emergency rooms and in the ICUs for a while, for months. Now- If they've made a decision not to get vaccinated and they have no prior natural immunity, that, in my opinion, is a poor decision. They've chosen unwisely and they're going to live with the consequences of that. But they pose no threat to me as a vaccinated American. They pose no public health threat. So it's like people who go to McDonald's every day, people who drink too much, people who drink too many potato chips. I mean, you name it. But the idea that somehow these people are preventing the rest of us from living our lives, we've never seen this level of stigmatization before since HIV. And if you remember the absurdity, the lunacy people had around HIV, around that stigma that they don't want to walk near, they don't want to be in the same room. You had basketball players saying they wouldn't play with Magic Johnson on the court. There was a time when parents would say, I know my child cannot get HIV from a student with HIV, but maybe the person with HIV could cut themselves and theoretically blood could splash and hit their eye. And even though there's never been a transmission through the cornea, maybe it could theoretically happen. And that's the absurdity we're seeing with COVID right now, right? You could give me COVID, even though I'm fully vaccinated and protected, and I could give it to my friend who could give it to their cat, who could give it to their grandmother. That is the absurdity. People who are vaccinated should feel good about their protection. People with natural immunity should feel good about their protection. The level of risk in somebody fully vaccinated under 65 is one in 26,000 end up in a hospital. I'm okay with that risk level. By the way, the average age of that one person 
is 73. So that's actually a stat for everybody. One in 26,000 vaccinated people. Mm. If you're boosted over 65, it's going to be lower. According to the CDC, all vaccinated Americans with the two-dose regimen over 18, your risk of hospitalization is one in 26,000. Are you okay with that risk? Not everyone has the same risk tolerance as Rochelle Walensky and Anthony Fauci. Okay, My dad wears a helmet when he goes jogging, practically. He's an old-fashioned doc. I have a higher risk tolerance, right? So we have never seen this level of paternalism that we cannot allow you to accept the risk of a common cold and a mild infection that results in a hospitalization, one in 26,000 at that rate. Is that what it is now? If you're vaccinated or you have natural immunity, is this basically the common cold for you? Yes. Where are the severe illnesses of those who had natural immunity? They're exceedingly rare. Where are the severe illnesses in those who are fully vaccinated? Very old people with comorbid conditions. And for them, the booster is important. And our goal was never to get it to zero. Our goal was to get it to be manageable. But we have this paternalism that we cannot allow you to accept risk. This is over your head. We saw it with home pregnancy tests in medicine. We can't allow women to do their own pregnancy tests at home. The medical establishment said this for decades. We have to tell them that they're pregnant because they can't handle the information and we have to do it in a doctor's office. That level of paternalism we're seeing again now with risk tolerance. Oh, well, let's hope that all goes away really soon. Marty, you're so great. Thank you. (laughs) Great and patient for putting up with me and Mark and our silliness here and clear and understandable and rational. And a voice of reason in a sea of... Idiots. Idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a ton. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. So... I pressed Marty on this question, and actually, he didn't give me a satisfactory answer. And I think part of the reason for that is because there isn't an answer. And that is, when is the end? Not when is the end, as in people stop getting us sick, people stop getting us hospitalized. When is the end of this being on page A1 above the fold every single day? Well, I'll tell you, he did sort of give the answer, which is the end is when we stop counting cases. The end is when we focus entirely on hospitalizations and deaths. If you look at all the news about Omicron, all cases, 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 cases. There's a spike in cases. No deaths. No deaths. And hospitalizations are not high either. So, you know, when we focus on hospitalizations and deaths, then we'll get a better sense of where we are on this thing. And the reality is, is that the hospitalizations and deaths are not that high. That's what we need to focus on. As Marty said, the president of the United States doesn't give a speech when there's a new flu variant. Something he pointed out both in this podcast and the last time he was with us, which I've forgotten, and it's such a great data point, 25% of the common cold cases we have every year are caused by coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. So we have coronaviruses that cause cold symptoms in Americans circulating for years, and we don't freak out about it. This is going to become, as we continue to develop treatments, as we have more people get vaccinated, as more people get natural immunity, this is going to be like the common cold. And we're just going to have to learn to live with it and stop freaking out about it all the time. It's possible that at some point a variant will come that evades the vaccines and, and, and causes we, all these then problems. Then we should and learn we, to step and up. And then we learn to step up and do it. But you know what? The problem is, is that it's like boy who cried wolf, right? So now Omicron comes and everybody sets their hair on fire and says, this could be the big one. And then it doesn't happen. And people look at it and say, see, there they go again, those idiots in Washington freaking out when it really wasn't anything. And then all of a sudden, one day, 
there may be an actual variant that we have to worry about, and no one's going to listen to the Anthony Fauci's of the world because they've so discredited themselves by setting their hair on fire that, you know, we may actually not respond when we need to respond. I'll tell you what one of my biggest takeaways is from that conversation with Marty, and it was the fact that nobody has gone back and said, who screwed up? Yeah. How did we screw up? I want to read that report. I want to see a group of scientists and journalists and analysts and doctors the get together. Right. And I want to see a 9-11 commission. I mean, if you compare the number of dead in America to the number of dead on 9-11, and not to take away anything from that dreadful attack, but we have lost so many more people, and yet there's been absolutely no effort to understand what went wrong and why. And I think that the American people are actually owed that. Perhaps President Biden in his next press conference will offer us that. If he's awake. (laughs) Oh, nasty last (laughs) shot. Anyway, folks, as always, don't hesitate to email us, share your views, share your interests. Please share this with friends, review us, Send us comments. And rate things. us on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like Danny, give us a good rating anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I might say the same, but that's been tried and tested already. <laughs> Thanks for time. Take care, everyone. Take care. Bye. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening.